0: On The Empire Podcast this week, we delve into reggae history with Kevin McDonald's documentary Marley, cast our hooks alongside Ewan McGregor as we go salmon fishing in the Yemen, and visit Space Prison with Guy Pearce to talk about his new film, Lockout. Hello pod people, I'm Helen O'Hara and welcome to the Empire Podcast, your weekly dose of film news, interviews, reviews and complete madness. There may be slightly less madness than usual this week since our Chris Hewitt is away on a work trip, but the rest of us will do our best to fill his giant clown shoes. Um, This week I had a problem, no one else could help and it turns out I could find them, so I'm joined by an A-team of film reviewing talent here in the pod booth. First up, we have Phil de Semlin, a man who's forgotten more about Azerbaijani nature documentaries than most of us will ever learn. Hello, Phil. Um, I think you meant naturist documentaries. <laughs> of course, that's your area of expertise, that's isn't correct. it? Yes. Uh Also, here is the disgustingly young Ali Plum, a man so blessed in the hair department that the Lion King himself regularly asks for main advice. How are you, Ali?
1: I'm well. And the trick is not to wash.
0: Oh, that's really quite gross. Okay, and finally is Empire's digital lord and master, and perhaps the geekiest human being on the face of the earth, the lord of all arcane nerd trivia that is James Dyer. Keplach. That was actually Klingon, wasn't it? That was, clearing your throat. that
2: was legitimate Klingon. Wow, we've yes. had
0: Martian on this show, we've had Klingon. Jedi. How many more can we bring in? People, if you're keeping count, that's two already. Now, through the wonders of the World Wide Web, you've been good enough to share your hopes, your dreams and your criticisms with us all week via tweets, Facebook messages and emails. It's only a matter of time before we're getting spam direct to the brain. So let's take a look at some of this week's previously top secret communiques. Uh, Jessica Speed at Fizz Snap asks what is your favourite Marmite movie one that some people love and others hate um, mine is The Fountain she says hmm James see I was
2: going to say something like nuns on the run but I'll be honest <laughs> I don't think anyone's watched it to hate it I don't know divisive movies Love Actually maybe
0: that I mean does lots divide of people, people hate
2: that I mm. rather like it I think it's quite sweet
0: mm, I do know people who passionately hate it Yeah, no, I, I like think that Ollie one. does Ollie Richards formerly of this parish Massive fan of every Christmas movie ever. I believe he hates Love Actually.
1: I hate Love Actually.
0: There we go. Phil does. Because you hate Christmas and Love, don't you? Yeah. That's
1: correct. Doesn't Cat, formerly of this parish, also love Grease too?
0: Yes, she That's does. That's not a
1: Marmite movie. It's just shit.
0: Well, to be honest, my favourite Marmite movie is actually also The Fountain, uh, Jessica, because uh, that caused a huge schism in the Empire Office between those who absolutely loved it and those who absolutely hated it. Um, and literally, it was between four stars and one star. Yes,
2: I remember this. Yes, yes, and we
0: had to actually send the editor to see the film to settle the schism. And whichever side he came down on, that was the review it would get in cinemas. It all gets very heated here in the Empire Office. We take our star rating seriously. Um, Danny at 15 Gunner says, Don't like Bond? Damn you vile woman. Well, you know, we discussed this last week, uh, but hey, what can I say?
2: I, I appreciate the family guy quote, I think that, that's that's quite nice. Yes, that was perfect. Um, we were discussing this in the office the other day about Bond, in that he's quite an unlikely hero because he's a screaming sociopath, mm. Mm. Uh, and it's just quite odd that people find him so magnetic and, and appealing when, you know, he's a step away from being like a serial killer but
0: there are sociopaths I like I mean you know I've been reading the Jack Reacher novels recently that James recommended to me yes indeed um, you know I like something like Pitch Black I quite enjoy it. Reacher's, a is not, a Reacher's not a sociopath he just doesn't have soap <laughs> so he, has, he has a, a folding
2: toothbrush it's not quite the same it thing he just doesn't wash that's yeah. not the only the man stopped quite a bullet the with his pectoral muscle but I'm not sure <laughs> no, he has I'm a not clock sure. in his head yeah
3: I'm not <laughs> sure he's, he's not, a sociopath
1: he's he's, he's, he's no
3: well, he is he's a, he's a valuable commodity within society I yeah, think sociopath I think would need yeah. to be kind of the opposite like the Joker but people love the Joker yes I guess people are drawn towards the dark charisma
0: Uh, Next up, Hoylus says, uh, Star Wars Episode One for kids? No. Tax disputes, government meetings and slicing someone in half put pay to that idea.
2: He's not wrong. This comes off what we were saying last week, wasn't it, when we were saying that we watched The Phantom Menace and it skews very young Mm. compared to the original trilogy. Sort of very much so, uh, in fact, I thought. But he's right. It does begin with a crawl citing the taxation of trade routes, Mm. which is a very popular subject among preschoolers. It's basically a kids' movie. It skews very young, but this plot is impenetrable. Uh, And even Mm. when you get to the end of it, you're not really sure what's happened. If you take the story from those three prequels and put them together, it's quite hard to work out what's happened in...
3: Well, read (laughs) them.
2: <laughs> what, not, what, are we, <laughs> what are we talking about?
3: We're talking about the oh, loss of new gun rays trade franchise. I don't care about the taken minutes. away by. Can uh... we stop talking about it <laughs> every week? It's so boring. <laughs> but in fairness,
2: government meetings.
0: Kids can kids can get into that stuff.
2: John Craven never really managed to sort of set that sort of topic on fire for me when I was a kid.
0: Okay, <laughs> um, Adrian Moore at Misty Crom uh, says if Cabin in the Woods is so great, How come it Only got three stars. Uh, it, it only got three stars because that's what the reviewer, Dan, gave it. I because it's, it's
2: not The Fountain. <laughs> <laughs> Is there, are we, we going to start well, Dan bashing I now. The, the
0: only Shut thing we all agreed on on The Fountain was that it shouldn't get three stars. Nobody thought no. it should get three stars, and we all thought that would be a complete betrayal. It's a really good question,
3: though, because I think more than any film that we've reviewed as a magazine in the last few years, mm. the, the Cabin of the Woods has kind of provoked discussion. Should it be four stars? Should it be three yes. stars? And, and <clears throat> I haven't seen it, so I don't even know where the sentence is Thanks going. But you guys have seen really it. That's really illuminating. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. No, I know. It's hopeless. I'm <laughs> going to see it at the cinema because I. You I, it do, however, amazing. have a cabin in the woods Rubik cube on that's your desk, great. which is quite cool. I actually have a cabin in the woods as well, which I'm going to invite you to. And, well, that's nice, and
2: now we're slightly yeah. scared so that's, that's quite
0: sinister oh. uh, I'm, I'm unfortunately busy uh, every weekend ever, Phil, so sorry about that
2: moving bro. hastily on
0: Yes, Dallas King, who's a former workie I'm sorry, we're not allowed to call them workies anymore and a former intern, he watched the fabulous Cabin in the Woods this weekend after making a conscious effort to skip any reviews, trailers and etc. to avoid spoilers now I know Chris was, he says, was quite vocal on Twitter about reviews giving away spoilers in particular the Village Voice review of Cabin in the Woods on the flip side, Helen on the BBC website argued that the trailer needed to hint at the wider plot in order to show audiences that it isn't just a typical horror film. What are the team's views on plot spoilers in trailers and reviews, and how do distributors slash reviewers strike the right balance? Oh, this, is this is a big question.
1: This is
2: its own podcast. This is a sight and sound feature. <laughs> um, the thing is, but trailers are a piece of marketing, aren't they? They're not they are not really there to do anything other than convince you to see the film, and that if, if that involves ruining the film, then they're not... Overly bothered. I mean, didn't the the trailer for salmon fishing in the Yemen had a line from the last three minutes of the film in it? That's about right. Yeah, uh, which is a
1: little irresponsible. Mm. I tell you what works really well is the new Prometheus stuff because that's all outside of the mm. footage. Okay, the mm. trailers in themselves, sure, but mm. the video virals, like the recent one of David, who's played by Michael Fassbender, it's his birthday. It explains how he is born, how he's created as this uh, new android. And it's got nothing to do with the actual film. There is no footage of the film in that. Yeah. And yet we're all very excited about it. And, you know, I'm talking about it now. Mm.
0: But the advantage of that, of course, is it's Prometheus. And everyone is already mm. very excited about it and willing to watch, mm. you know, a slightly offbeat sort of TED speech or birthday yeah. message or whatever.
1: But I certainly agree with what this um, emailer is saying. Mm. I, When I was watching um, The Avengers last week, there were certain points because I've been watching this film so much in stills and in trailers and in snippets and in clips I kind of had a jigsaw puzzle half finished of what was going on Mm. and there were certain moments where I went I remember staring at the first look in Empire three months ago, four Mm. months ago, whenever it was and it does affect how how you watch a movie and perhaps Mm. if you are totally obsessed with one particular film just try not to yeah. read anything mm. about it if you can most films don't suffer from that too badly but I think that's a film like Cabin
3: in the Woods for mm, definitely, Prometheus definitely yeah. would
0: I think Cabin in the Woods was a really difficult one what I was sort of trying to say on the BBC site is that if you kept it purely to the cabin stuff and made it look purely as if it's all that story then you risk turning people off when they discover that it's something else Mm.
2: Um,
0: and I think that's why I think in that case there was something to be said for giving a little bit more away Mm. but obviously not too much I think they didn't strike a bad balance actually in that
3: case there's a different slightly different adjunct to this which which is the comedy trailer where you literally have all four funny bets in the trailer. <laughs> and I think we all kind of know what sort of films we're talking about. Because you think, <laughs> you look at the trailer, you think, that is amazing. I literally cleared my diary. I throw my diary out the window. I'm going to see this. You see it and you're like, it's... oh my lord. Yes. Well, <laughs> These were the gags. T- Not to name any mm-hmm. names, but year zero. That trailer looked incredible. <laughs> and then the film happens and somebody clearly sat down in the editing suite and gone, those are the four good bets. Get them in the trailer <laughs> and uh, people will go and see it. Yeah. Apparently,
1: <laughs> Hangover Part 2 did this by having a whole trailer in the form of a film two years previously which told you everything you needed to know <laughs> wow, about part two that too. was clever that's really clever <laughs> it a really set got to, story for me
0: they mm. got people to pay and see that yeah. trailer as well
1: I mean when was the last time you actually paid to see a trailer it's really good <laughs> hats off <laughs> just the second cynical, part of that me. thing
2: yes reviewers who spoil films in reviews should be beaten and killed and I think we should we should definitely enforce that
0: well we, we might have to beat and kill our own Kim Newman who has on occasion given little snippets away I don't think any of us want to do that I'll
2: get on that after the podcast we'll okay, make I'll an exception for Kim yeah.
0: Okay, uh, next question. Finally, Ed Bower got in touch again. Bower, possibly. Can you explain why there are often a couple of films released at the same time with similar themes but are totally unconnected? For example, Deep Impact Armageddon, Shaun of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, or Book of Eli, The Road?
2: Because Hollywood is creatively bankrupt.
0: Well, it's funny you should say that, James, because I actually wrote a a feature on this uh, a couple of months ago in Empire.
2: Self promoter in the world. (laughs) Um, Go on.
0: Well, which was arguing that it's not just that. There's certainly a little bit of that going on. There's a little bit of, hey, I hear that Studio A is doing a film about volcanoes. Let us here at Studio B also do a film about volcanoes and call we're it not left Volcano.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Oh dear. Um, but uh, we're not, by the way, in implying that the makers of Volcano <laughs> stole their idea. Let's make Dunne that completely yeah. clear. Um, but no, films often do co- coincide, and I think actually part of the reason is that um, sometimes technology effects what they can do. So when CG gets to a level where it can do convincing fire effects, suddenly you get loads of volcano movies. Mm. Well, you saw this in CG animation all the time. When when all they could do was hard shiny surfaces, we got toys and we got bugs. Uh, when they started to be able to do fur, you know... We, we got, got, got Monsters, Inc. We got Monsters, Inc. and we got Donkey and Shrek. When they when they could do water, we got Shark's Tale and Finding Nemo. So it's kind of, there's a little bit of a little bit more going on than just you know anything bad
1: also it's fun to chase isn't it you know when you have one big studio doing I'd, I seem to remember Bedtime Stories and another movie which was about mm. imagining a story that came to life kind of chasing each other wasn't Inkheart yeah. yes it was Inkheart yeah you know it means that half your branding's done for the, by the other team so you go well <laughs> they'll go to one movie maybe they'll go to our one
0: and sometimes the second one out of the gate is better. Mm.
1: Yes. Well, I, the Deep Impact Armageddon thing, I suppose, appeals
2: slightly different. Deep Impact always sounded like a Swedish porn film to me. Weirdly. I, I, <laughs> I, when <laughs> I spoke to Roland
3: Emmerich, he said that actually he was lined up to make a film about a giant asteroid heading towards Earth.
0: At the same time. At the
3: same time. And then he found out Michael Bay was mm. making this film, so he had to abandon it. So there could have been three
0: wow. massive...
3: A triple threat triple of asteroid, asteroid mayhem. At the at the cinema, but that's not to be astonishing.
0: That would have been uh, Roland Emmerich going up against Michael Bay. That that could have actually destroyed the earth in itself. <sighs> scary. Would have scary destroyed stuff. me. <laughs> now, now, be nice. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. I also think sometimes it's just as simple as, you know, two executives read a feature that they particularly like and go into the <laughs> office the next day and go, hey, somebody write something about well, are, this. Are we
2: referring to your feature again?
0: Uh, my feature, yes. Yeah. I, I can th- I, I, honestly, I think it'd be a brilliant film. Hollywood, call me. Um, <laughs> but I think it can just be completely innocent. I don't think it's just creative bankruptcy. Although sometimes that's the only explanation. Now, if you still want to get in touch with us after all of that, and perhaps join the rarefied ranks of those whose messages have been read out on air, or whatever this is, uh, then just drop us a line. You can tweet us using the hashtag EmpirePodcast, email us at podcastempireonline.com, at or Facebook us at Empire Magazine. Um, If you live back in olden days, you could even write us a real letter, but that's probably a bit far out for you kids today, so let's say no more. Now, as ever, we'll soon be deliberating, cogitating and digesting this week's movie news, but first it's time for another listener-created jingle and it's from, you guessed it, Microfarad Melody Eel.
1: Battleships, transformers in disguise. Battleships, transformers in disguise
2: that's astonishing I take it's back so everything I said about work. what's his name comedy micro eel transformer. <laughs> micro-,
0: <laughs> <person>? <laughs> micro farad melody eel Jesus thank yes, you very him. much
2: that, that's, <laughs> honestly that's astonishing So,
1: so I think well, Madonna though. wanted that name at first but she eventually <laughs> went for Madonna
0: <laughs> yeah but I mean she could have been just as huge if you, she was called micro farad melody eel I'm pretty sure but come on people this un- unbeaten reign as king of the jungle uh, cannot stand another week surely Ladies and gentlemen, it is up to you. It's not too late. There's still time. Save the jingle, save the world. That's what we always say, or at least we do now. So if you can, send us your jingles or stings. It's podcast at empireonline.com. Quality, as you can tell, is not what we're looking for. We just want something that vaguely sounds a little bit... Like it might be music. Right, on to this week's movie news. Phil, let's start with you. What set the movie blood pumping through mm-hmm. your celluloid veins?
3: Um well this story about Mr. Toad's wild ride mm. being being brought to the screen has destroyed my mind a little bit. I'm, co- I'm <laughs> confused. I went to Disney World as a kid and I went on this ride and I mm-hmm. loved it.
0: So it's a ride at Disney World.
3: It's a, sorry, it's a ride at Disney. Okay, it's a ride at Disney World obviously inspired by Kenneth Graham's Wind in the Willows. Right. And this is where the confusion sets in because it's inspired by Kenneth Graham's Wind in the Willows. So why <laughs> why do you need... To, uh, you know, the, the the ride's not actually going at Disney World anymore. It's still at Disneyland in, in LA, I believe. But they closed it down at the end of the 90s. Mm. I don't know why. It's magical. You get on this ride, it's dark, and you go through Toad Hall and, and Ratty's Earth cabin in the woods or whatever wherever, he, <laughs> wherever ratty lives <laughs> and moles it is scary and it gets scarier because it's sort of Dante's Inferno inspired but at the end where because in the book Toad nicks a car yes. gets. it's basically the Fast and the Furious plot he nicks a car <laughs> he gets hauled up in front of a judge and, and then they the interpret rock comes that and with it. the help of like Dario Argento sort of inspired <laughs> flames and it were terrified me I don't know i presume that's why they closed it down because it was just it was just turning kids into uh, into shells and um, and uh, anyway, so that's the ride. Uh, the, what the film's going to look like, I've got no idea. They've it's- got Tron Legacy's uh, producer on it, yeah. so it's a man used to dealing with pretty big budgets CGI. It's too early to know if it's going to be uh, CGI live action combo. Mm. I'd imagine that's the likelihood, but I just I, I don't know where to start really. Well, you know isn't
2: mean- isn't this a book that became a play? That also became mm. a film that then became a ride that mm. is now. Beca- it's the most meta project in the world. Yeah. It's ridiculous.
3: I think Mole has a drug problem.
2: I <laughs> do not know where he is from one day <laughs> to the
3: next. He's been on radio as well. It's it's something that like um, Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I really loved. It's a it's a very English feeling thing. Willy really, Guillermo del Toro was actually attached for a little while to the idea of making this. That song. I would have paid to which see, which would
0: have been amazing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And he's, uh, he's doing he's the Pan's got,
3: Labyrinth. Um. Yeah, he's
0: even got form <laughs> with with giant toads with fairy tales. In, in and, Pan's oh, Labyrinth, it would have
3: been amazing. Apparently, he said he sat down with. With Hollywood suits, and they said, "Cool, can we get Toad some kind of a skateboard and get him to say like radical and doodle art and stuff?" And he just went, "Well, thanks, but I'm not. Gonna, I'm not really interested in this. This just sounds like your kind of thing. Um, I, I'll do something different." And it's sort of. Back, I mean, it's really early to to sort of to say anything too negative. It's just a bit crazy. I don't know why they didn't like go to the library and spot the book and then think that's you know a nice so thing. What you're
2: saying is instead of a sort of an, an anthropomorphised look at pastoral england we're going to get sort of mr toad hits manhattan or something <laughs> yeah
3: i don't know if i want an anthropomorphized look at, look at that's a, what it was it. well it was a bit, turn yeah. of the century gold. no it was but it had ferrets and it had you it know did. armed ferrets who and were sort of inspired by gangsters and, you know. and it, yeah in like trilby's with machine guns and it had big big country houses car crime let's not forget that you know Dominic, the dominant the dominant Toretto of the home counties <laughs>
2: <Cross> toad <laughs> Yeah, cross, yes. exactly. the bust out of jail in right. a woman's. The fast boat. and the furriest, if you will. Not, <laughs> Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. You're probably going
3: to be atta- good, attached yeah. to the script. So anyway, we'll see. But I, you know, frankly, why stop there? Because there's you know Laura Keet Lagoon at Chessington. The flying. There's fish. a movie yeah.
1: right there. Flying fish. The flying fish from uh, is it Chessington or Alton Towers? But <laughs> it's essentially the ride in Alton Towers where they just go round and round in a circle. Yes. That could work. That sounds like a movie. But this surely this is taking us back to the
2: creatively bankrupt thing, isn't it? It's just, it's just, it's the desperately casting around for some kind of name recognition. Well, thing. yeah,
0: I think that's more what it is. I think it's it's not necessarily just cre- it's not creatively bankrupt. In some ways, it could be. Argued just to play devil's advocate that it's harder to come up with something when you've already got the name; it has to fit. Yes, but why do, you do it? I mean, so, well, like with because Babbleship, of name recognition.
2: We were on this last week. No yeah. one is going to see that film's because of the game with the pegs. Mm. Really? No, but they? if no. you
0: remember and know the name, mm. you're already ahead of the game. Yes, but people it's went just to, a see it. people it's like to see it. People did go to
3: see it, people went to see it. But
0: people went to. See, it's a cool noun. Come on, it's a cooler noun than boot.
2: Well, okay. This this takes us on to these
0: well,
1: are
2: Monopoly the characters. You realise. <laughs> yes, we, this is Monopoly the film, really, that we're scripting out as we Iron Man, Which
0: well, Ridley Scott was attached to, let's not forget. Well, yeah,
2: where's well, it's like DreamWorks option, the Need for Speed game, also, mm. this week. I mean, they're, they're making, I mean, it's just, like, really... What about cards? It's a video not
1: game. Cards. But That's but it's definitely the name, because it sounds good. Let's Need be for Speed, yeah. yes. Whenever you think about the, the games, and many of you won't have played it, maybe you have the names. But the problem with that is, too, first of all, I hear yeah, Need for Speed,
2: I think, Top Gun. But mm. second of all, it's a game where you get in a car and drive around a track and try and finish first that's Mm. the plot of the game admittedly the most recent one had a vague story attached to it but I mean it really is reaching I mean if you're going to do that it, remake Cannonball yeah, Run you know at is. least do something
3: I, fun well, I think this creative bankruptcy thing is something we'll probably talk about like most weeks and, and I think it's easy to sort of sit here and, and, and dismiss this sort of stuff but I guess Hollywood is a business and it needs to mm. achieve what they call cut through to you know everybody has so much media coming at them these days so they need these names so people can go immediately I know what it is Although with battleship, who knew what it was? Um, but you know, you you know something triggers in your brain. But I think what's kind of depressing about this sort of thing is that somewhere in the filmmaking journey, from you know the beginning of the century, end of the last century, you know things started with an idea and a script, and now it starts with a word, a word, and a then pun. you have to build a script around it. And hearing. <laughs> Peter Berg talking about trying to make Battleship into a film and how difficult that was it's like well there's a good reason why it's difficult because it's not a film and you know you've had to crowbar in and and I just think I don't know Something's, something it's all sometimes it too, goes it? a bit it's missing just, but then mm. at the same time a lot of people went to see Battleship this week so mm. who are we mm. to say
0: and also I mean it's helping kind of with the worldwide stuff that you know more people from all over the world have probably actually been on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride than have read The Wind in the Willows Yeah, sad yeah. as that may be and therefore you know that
2: is depressing isn't it I'm sorry,
0: I've <laughs> no it's you a great ride no, I've, right. never, I've never <laughs> been on That's Mr. Toad's it's Wild Ride wild, I'll be
2: again. honest it's wild
3: it may be it'll introduce a new generation of you know kids and movie goers to Kenneth Graham I don't know. I mean, they might write a book about it.
0: It also, Called let's not forget the- that something may so- turn, you know, start off from quite laughable roots and turn out pretty awesome. I mean, Pirates of the Caribbean was based on a ride and this the first one. Yeah. Is but this really is exactly what I
2: was going to say. I mean, that that's a film that should never have been made based on what it was Based, Based on, on. But yeah. the film is genius mm. I, I didn't Because that, that same Famous trip That we're talking about A lot When I was a kid
3: To, to <laughs> Disney World, Blah 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 No one cares But I mean I went in Pirates of the Caribbean As well mm. And it is basically You go through Down some water Like a log through With a few kind of Buccaneers Kind of hang out And then you get, the get off and go mm. And hang out On this Toad's Wild Ride Or whatever Couldn't they just Have made a film About pirates like based on like pirates yeah, in, you're the one. in the Caribbean in the Caribbean.
0: But then why not call it Pirates of the Caribbean? Because at least that way you've got people who yeah. vaguely have heard of it. I mean, I personally went on the Caribbean, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride because I'd heard it, heard about it in Jurassic Park, because of that quip. You know, if Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, they don't all start eating the tourists that was why i went on the Pirates of the caribbean land in disney in disney so you're I'm completely sure.
2: led by name recognition yeah. so it, all it it of these films are essentially way. aimed at you
0: yeah i guess i am hollywood's um hollywood's dream customer yeah. you know it's,
3: they didn't say if mr toad's wild ride breaks down <laughs> everybody burns Phil,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, i sense you're That's still traumatized line, by that you know. this, is the wor- this is the worst
1: Toad holiday of your right life down. wasn't it oh.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, don't worry, we're going to get Phil for help before next week. (laughs) Um, I promise. Uh, Ali, I believe you have a story for us as well.
1: I do have a story. It's a story you might have heard before because it has been said in various guises uh, for the past couple of years. But Sin City 2 is, and I quote, officially happening. Robert Rodriguez and Frank Miller are back with uh, the second instalment of the black and white and red actioner. Not the right word, but anyway, with supposedly, and I quote, Many of the original cast expected to return Now it couldn't get more vague than that But hopefully we'll see the likes of Clive Owen Et al, Jessica Alba and co Hurting each other and things getting a bit bleak and dark But there's also going to be two new stories That Frank Miller has not released to anyone else yet So there's that So Hmm. it's not just going to be Oh let's see how that happens There'll also be Oh let's see what they throw at us
0: Excellent. Now, we haven't heard any confirmation on casting yet, and I have heard rumours that, for example, Mickey Rourke, who would be a part of this because his character Marv is obviously in A Dame to Kill For, but he's apparently expressed some reluctance in the past about donning the makeup again. So have we heard... Is there any update on that?
1: This official release that was released by Dimension Films, which essentially said that once Machete 2 is wrapped in the spring of next year, they're going to be doing uh, Sin City 2. But no, there's been no solid news as I say that vague quote is, is what we've got but yeah I can understand why from re-watching the film quite recently you, you just wonder how he did in the first place it's an incredible obviously ordeal to put mm. all that makeup on um, so I don't blame it. but then again a lot of lot of things have been said in the past uh, back in the day Johnny Depp and uh, Antonio Banderas were penciled in as appearing in Sin City 2.
0: Yeah we heard about Angelina Jolie was rumoured mm. uh, for A Dame to Kill it For
1: there are lots of things that I get thrown about. Sin City is a very popular, much-loved series of graphic novels, and a lot of people do love the first film, so people will say things. But as far as we know, right now, it's going to happen. Who comes in remains to be seen.
0: So, good thing or bad thing? I'm not a massive
3: fan of no, Sin City. Do you know what? Neither am I.
1: I. Think it's it's really, like, I just didn't know.
2: No, I mean, it's a great film. Technically, it's brilliant. I just it, it, I didn't enjoy it. I don't, you know. No, I, I watched it, liked it, thought I won't watch it again. I'm not yeah. that fussed about the sequel. I, I know you, that a lot of people love it, and I
3: can understand that. Mm. It is technically it's pretty amazing. Mm, it is. It's, you know, visually, it's stunning, like 300, that kind of thing. But I oh, just had a really nasty undercurrent to it for me, and and yeah. I, maybe that's because I'm a bit oversensitive to that sort of stuff. But I just found it a bit, a bit. <laughs> exploitative mm. it, but not in a fun b-movie way in a kind of nasty <laughs> it's a slightly sadistic you know and... feeding people to yeah. you yeah. know animals i just it does not my thing so i don't know if i'm the person
2: to it. no it's on just a sort of rape and torture and it's just i don't know it made me feel a bit icky
1: you are gonna love this one <laughs>
2: yeah clearly it's one of those things though isn't it it's, it's one of those great shames it's like mad men isn't it it's a show that i know is brilliant and i want to love and can't get into um, I watched the one, you know the one where they smoke and drink whiskey. I saw that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I do love that yes, one actually. I heard it's the best oh, ever. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but no, Sin City. Want to love it, can't.
0: I don't know why. Well, it would take another three-hour long podcast to tell you why you're wrong about Mad Men, but uh, we should probably move on, or we will be here all day. But before we get on to this week's uh, reviews, we recently had a visit from accomplished serious actor and newly minted action hard man Guy Pearce. The star of LA Confidential Memento and Now Lockout dropped by for a flying visit, and myself and Chris Hewitt sat down with him to talk action, acting, and even things that don't begin with the letters A and C.
4: Uh, it's Empire Podcast time again We're delighted to be joined by the star of LA Confidential, Memento, The Proposition, Animal Kingdom You see him briefly in the Hurt Locker And this summer he's going to be in both Lockout and Prometheus Hello Guy Pierce. How, How are, are you?
5: Very good, very good, thanks for having me
4: Good, good, good yeah, uh, Guy Pierce in space movies are like buses You don't get any for ages and two come along at once What's, I know, what's the deal?
5: I don't know, it's just one of those things It's just a fluke that yeah. happened Yeah um, I don't know that I'm necessarily uh, on the on the path to spend a lot of time in space, but uh, okay. <laughs> maybe I'm just getting it all out of the way in 2012. Absolutely, and Lockout came first, which is the one that's coming out. Yes, we shot that at the end of 2010, actually, and then uh, Prometheus was uh, the middle of last year.
4: Okay, and Lockout is a role we've seen it. It's yes, it's very very you know very fun movie. Mm. It's it's unlike anything you've done.
5: Well that's a right. Long I, long time. I think um, I think also it seems that way because it's particularly a, a genre film it's you know it's sci-fi action oriented type thing and and most of the films that I do aren't so entertainment based I guess they are generally a bit more serious and you know I, I think the idea of doing something like this um, you know I've I've been asked to do um, uh, action oriented type things before but um, never really found a character that's appeal to me I suppose yep. uh, they, they tend to take themselves pretty seriously so I like the idea of this guy uh, this,
0: this guy doesn't take anything seriously I no. think it's fair to say <laughs>
5: well no ha- but having said that I mean one of the things that was important to me was to make sure we had a three dimensional character yep. you know and to see his friend die at the beginning and how he reacts to it and you know and also to see the other friend die in the middle of the film mm. without giving too much of it away no. um, uh, and and him and, and just get a sense of who he is emotionally I suppose mm. uh, enabled me to justify the you know the snappy one-liners and mm. the the kind of attitude that he has i didn't want to just be that kind of guy for the sake of it yeah you know. absolutely did
4: you have to work hard on the physicality though on the physical side of things
5: well, I had to go to the gym and create some <laughs> muscles.
4: But I believe you actually you're a bodybuilding champion, weren't you? In, in your I, I, youth? I did. Is that, I, is
5: that I, right? I, I, I entered a bodybuilding competition when I was 16, of all things, and and I won. <laughs> so it's
4: inspired by Arnold Schwarzenegger, presumably. Or well,
5: I was at. Funnily enough, I was I was at a gym that uh, was run by uh, a Miss Universe and her husband, who really? was one of the uh, yeah was one of the sort of um, members of this particular uh, bodybuilding federation. So I was sort of in just happened to be in the mix of that world and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank <laughs> you. And uh, they were the ones who really sort of you know pushed me to enter I wouldn't have thought to do it myself really but um, it was one of those things that you know I think I was quite fascinated in the, in the sort of the, the creativity of bodybuilding funnily enough um, Clearly I realized that it was way too much hard work and, I, <laughs> and it went by the wayside but it comes in handy occasionally if I need to be buffed for a role.
4: so you weren't rebitten by the bug then this time
5: around No I, I, I put that last weight down the, you know in my last day of shooting and I haven't picked it up since <laughs> I have that problem with the first weight I'm <laughs> just picking
0: up. And how about? I mean, you know, working on films like this, a lot of actors uh, complain about the fact that you know sometimes there's nothing there. You're just against a green screen. Uh, sometimes you, you've got sort of half a set and then a green screen. How, how was it in this case? Was it was it fairly physical or was it you know completely imaginary?
5: Uh, there were a lot of sets that were built. You know, they did a great job of building various sets that were, that were the the space station that we were on. Um, so there was a lot of um, a lot of real um, spots that we were in. But then there were it was quite a bit of green screen as well, but I don't mind it at all. I have no issue using my imagination.
0: See, so I think that, that seems to be a thing for theatre actors. If you're used to doing theatre, then green screen seems to be not a problem. There mm. seems to be a link there somehow. Is
5: yeah, that- I, I, I I don't understand why it's why it's a problem mm. for people. Fair enough. This is a um, not only a film directed by
4: two Irishmen, uh, Stephen St Ledger and James Mather, but uh, it's produced by Luke Besson mm-hmm. Did you get to meet Luke during the production? Was he around much? Well,
5: he uh, my first um, uh, connection to the film was with Luke. We mm-hmm. sat down and had a meeting together, and he sort of explained the whole piece, and he also explained the his history with um, uh, Stephen and James, the two directors and the fact that he'd seen this short film of theirs, and you know he was most impressed with what they'd done on a very uh, tight little budget. Um, Absolutely,
4: It was prayer Alone." This yes, that's right.
5: Yeah. yeah, and so I watched the film. I then read the script of "Lockout," and I then uh, I headed off to New York because I was starting Mildred Pierce, and I met with. Um, Stephen and James at that point. They were both actually very nervous because I was quite skinny at that point and I think they were thinking, <laughs> why are we meeting this guy? He was supposed to look like an action hero. Yeah. Um, but I assured them that uh, my bodybuilding past would actually come back and, and help out. So... Luke, I met then uh, and had a great chat with him. He he also then turned up sort of right at the beginning of shooting, and then he was actually shooting a film of his own. So mm-hmm. he disappeared to go and do that, and then I hadn't seen him again till the other day. So, um, <laughs> uh, but I think he was very present, obviously in the post production stage of the. Uh, I was going to say, I mean, for for
4: first time directors. That sort of producer who turns up in the first day of the shoot and then doesn't turn up until the end. It must be must be gold.
5: Well I think he I think he had a lot of faith in the guys. Yeah. And uh, you know, to call them first time directors on some level feels a little unfair because they've sure. they've actually worked a lot. They've made a lot of commercials, sort of calls, yeah. lot of commercials yeah. and they really had a great sort of shorthand. And I think technically and also ideas wise and sort of character wise you know uh the guys uh, the guys are quite um skilled in a way so mm-hmm. i don't think that that luke thought he was dealing with some you know total, like total, total or something, yeah. no absolutely <laughs> you know. um but sure he, he he no doubt sort of threw his weight around in the uh, in the editing mm-hmm. room i imagine well, well you never know you never know um now it's 15
4: years this year since la confidential mm-hmm. uh looking back in that film does it hold any special memories for you?
5: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really... It was the first time I'd ever really worked with a director who who I felt I was actually uh, having sort of acting lessons with. You know, he, okay. he I, I really learned a great deal from Curtis at that, in that experience. Uh, it was my first American film as well. And also, it, it's a wonderful film. I mean, it, it really was a very sort of detailed and specific and... Um, um, uh, very sort of particular style of filmmaking, I think that that um, you know only certain people could handle in that kind of way. So mm. it's when you look back at it, people really look at it as a classic. I think so. It was a, it was a great experience and a really special one for me. Absolutely. Well, weirdly enough, for I me mean,
4: today, uh, this is a strange connection, but I'm going to make it anyway. You're wearing glasses today. Now, Ed actually wore mm-hmm. glasses. Now, did you choose those glasses? Was it a particular process for you? Did the glasses complete the character, or was it literally?
5: Uh, well, it was panel. very much. It was very much. Um, you know, it, it's very uh, present. The whole glasses thing in the book and yeah. in the script. Um, I don't think I had my own glasses by that stage. I didn't get my eyes tested, tested until. Uh, I was in Ireland doing the Count of Monte Cristo and I realised how blind I actually was so um, (laughs) so so glasses weren't uh, a thing for me at all other than a a character thing and you know I I suppose any additional um, item of clothing or any sort of um um Character trait that's you know that's sort of obvious mm. Uh, mm. is is really helpful. Absolutely,
4: because uh, he's such a buttoned-down character, it's mm. it's such a wonderful representation of that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and the
5: references that are made in the film where they're constantly telling him to get rid of them because it just mm. doesn't appear yeah. like the mm. LAPD that they want. Absolutely, uh, was quite kind of interesting as well.
4: And uh, Ed X is a character that's been explored in further uh, James Roy novels. Are you? Disappointed that we never get to see him again on the big screen, and we never got to see him again.
5: No, no. I mean, I, you know, I like the idea of leaving people with, uh, you know, sort of with with uh, people wanting more. I suppose mm-hmm. if 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 that's the case. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm always nervous about uh, outstaying one's welcome. So. Uh, <laughs> But I think you know it would have been great if if it was to to do another. I suppose if it was with the same team of people and if yeah. and if it was a, as interesting a story. Um, and obviously there is a you know there are other great books that Elroy wrote. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but I don't feel disappointed. Mm. I
4: mean, uh, of course, you you don't really repeat characters. I mean, obviously famously especially in this country in australia and there's mike and neighbors but yes that's that, was that was that it was that enough for you once i've played a character 300 times i'm not going to play them
5: <laughs> well play i did another tv again. series i did the man from snowy river a few years after course, that as yeah, well so i did four years mildred on that pierce, as well yeah. but mildred pierce was five yeah. episodes yeah, yeah, you know yeah. so um whereas snowy river and neighbors were as you say six thousand you know or however <laughs> So uh, <laughs> I, I yeah i don't think i need to sort of um explore a character for that long ever again okay.
0: <laughs> well how about exploring different sort of things you can do in cinema because you mentioned kind of monte cristo which i actually really enjoyed and you know you get a bit of sword fighting you get to duel a mm-hmm. bit you know this film at lockout you get to you know be an action hero is there anything that you're kind of still kind of want to try no i you i did. don't
5: not that I, there are things that i don't want to. Mm. T- not that i've run out of things to try but i i, I never I, i'm never in the position i never want to be in the position where there are th- there that i'm looking for something specific right. i just i just don't work like that at all i i really rely on being open to what the universe is just going to bring um because i find that spontaneous um reaction to something is what's important to me i feel like if there's anything constructed or any any personal desire of my own that that comes to the forefront I'd rather express that through um something that I create myself I suppose Mm. so so no the way in which I work as an actor is is sort of totally different to that and I often get asked what would be the ultimate character you'd like (laughs) to play and I just think I don't know how do you answer that I mean I don't know what the ultimate character is that's out there uh, let's
4: talk, if we can, about a character you probably can't talk about in any way, shape, or form, which is uh, Peter Wayland and mm-hmm. Prometheus. Let's talk about something we may be able to talk about, which is that TED speech, right. that viral video that came out. Um, how did that come about for you? Uh, how did Ridley did Ridley first of all pitch that character to you? Was it was the did he, was the TED part speech part of that pitch, or was that something that sprung naturally from?
5: Uh, well, the during the making of the film, uh, they talked about um, a variety of ways of marketing the film, yeah. and um, uh, this was one of the ways that they thought would be interesting, uh, and I you know, immediately thought it was a great idea. So uh, we filmed that after we'd finished the movie, mm-hmm. um, and some time after we'd finished the movie as well, or sometime after I'd finished on the movie. Okay. Um, so I, went, I came back to England specifically just for that. And really, it was a, in a, in a way, it's a kind of a great way just to, to to allow an audience to perhaps understand a character a bit more than, than, than you would in when you watch the film, I suppose. So uh, it's an interesting thing to do because you know you're you're always. Trying to understand the the backstory of your character and and on some level, subconsciously or consciously, trying to get some of that across in the film. So Absolutely. it's kind of interesting to actually let people into a little bit of uh, you know a character's secrets. Did Ridley direct that sequence? He Ted was speech? he was there, but his son primarily uh, directed it. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Peter Wayland is British,
4: which is interesting. Was, it, was that your decision? His uh, Ridley's decision? Or? He's uh, he's kind of British. Okay. <laughs> Are you treading very uh gingerly now along yeah. fox non-disclosure agreement lines? Yes. Uh, this... Yes. Okay. No,
5: no, no. He he he's he's a man of the world, so he's not he's not just British. I I,
4: I don't think Okay, and uh, one last thing you probably can't talk about. Uh, in the trailers, we glimpse an old man on board Prometheus. Uh, mm-hmm. Would you know anything about that old man by Abs- any chance? Absolutely nothing.
5: <laughs> <laughs> can't wait to see it. Can't wait I, to see
4: I'll be it. very interested to see what happens. Uh, when Funnily enough, around. I haven't
5: seen that trailer yet.
4: So, oh, really? Yeah. Okay, well, go yeah. and get your phone out and we'll, uh, we'll give it <laughs> we'll a go. We'll watch but that now. We'll watch it now, but in the meantime, Guy Pierce, thanks very much indeed. Thank you very much. Pleasure.
0: OK, rejoice, freebie lovers. It is competition time. Yes, the competitions are back after a one-week hiatus, which I believe they spent surfing off Maui. Uh, and we have a doozy for you this week. It's David Fincher's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. It's hitting DVD and Blu-ray on Monday, on the April 23rd. And we have five copies of the Blu-ray, five of the Ace soundtrack, and five of the box set of the book to give away to five lucky winners. So to win the lot, uh, or at least, you know, a fifth of the lot, uh, just answer this offensively simple question... Who wrote the book The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Just send us your answers to podcast at empireonline.com and we'll let you know if you've won this time next week. Uh, In the meantime, if you're still hungry for some dragon tattoo action, keep an eye on our Twitter feed at Empire Magazine on Monday because we're also going to have a competition for exclusive tickets to a dragon tattoo event taking place at the London Film Museum Covent Garden on next Wednesday, so keep an eye out for that on Monday. Um, And at last, it is finally time to kick off this week's reviews by talking about Marley. Now, we know what you're thinking, but no, this is not a film about Jacob's ghost. This is a documentary about the reggae legend Bob. Isn't that right, Phil?
3: Um, It's really terrific. I mean, we've given it five stars. Mm -hmm. Um, Documentary about Bob Marley by Kevin MacDonald. And... It's been, he talked about when he made The Last King of Scotland, it was in Uganda, obviously, the idea of bringing a group of reggae lovers from Jamaica to Africa, kind of, you know, across the old um, diaspora, I guess, um, back then, didn't come to fruition. I think Martin Scorsese at one point was attached, and then Jonathan Demi mm-hmm. and then it came back to Kevin MacDonald, who's made, you know, he's one of these few filmmakers who's as accomplished making feature films as documentaries Um, he's made One Day in September I think was his breakthrough doc about the Munich Olympics Um, and recently we've seen him with things like uh, state of Play.
0: And Life in a Day. Life
3: well. in a Day, another documentary. The Eagle, perhaps not one of his best, but again, he's handy, he's got a, you know, uh, ferocious work ethic, and he really, you know, went to town on this one. He went out there, he's interviewed a lot of people that have not spoken before about Bob Marley on the Record, his family, his, mm-hmm. you know, half-sisters, his wife, Rita, um, other lovers, other collaborators, um, other members of the Wailers, a lot of Wailers in this film. Um, <laughs> Bunny and the gang, and and he's talked to them all in incredibly sort of powerful emotional interviews and insightful interviews and he's pieced that together with footage of the man himself I think what's great about it is it kind of works on it's like it's an inception of, of, a, of a documentary it works on different levels. If you oh. love reggae it's got other stuff about you know the, the growth of reggae from Calypso and, and, and Two-Tone into you know this new form of music that Bob Marley pioneered and mm-hmm. um, Bob Marley and the Wailers themselves as I mentioned are in it but for someone like me he doesn't really particularly love reggae, it's just a fascinating insight into a fascinating man, and it's a kind of a warts and all thing.
0: Mm, I that's was going to say is it balanced? Because sometimes when you get the family involved, you get mm. the old friends involved, it no. can end up feeling a little bit one-sided.
3: No, that's right, and it feels like there's kind of threads between different people in it you know, his his daughter, I think harbours, I don't know if bitterness is the right word, but certainly, uh, you know, she, she feels for her mother because her mother was there whilst Bob was conducting these affairs during his life, but she she loves him um, you know it's it's a lot of kind of deep emotional background that we haven't really seen to Bob Marley if we get a real sense of the man mm-hmm. and the thing that comes across is that I always thought he just sort of you know sat around playing football and writing songs and playing his guitar and, and getting a little stone occasionally but the man had incredible drive, and that really comes across, and I think that sort of his focus from a young age, yeah. from childhood, a difficult childhood, you know, because again I hadn't realised that, you know, as someone with a with a white father and a black mother, he was sort of ostracised um, as a kid, and people really wouldn't talk to him. So wow. he had a tough time, and you know, to channel all that into his career, which he was dedicated to from the get-go, and um Kevin McDonald's captured all of that. I think and it's a long film; it's mm. two and a bit hours, but it doesn't really feel like it because, as I say, there's a lot of reggae in it. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> if it was in 3D, you'd need you'd need uh, you'd need munchies and a lie down afterwards. Um, it's clouded <laughs> in in in, in ganja smoke at times, but you know it's it's fascinating stuff. Um, and it's not, as I say, hagiography. He's brought this man down off the t-shirts and posters and made him real.
0: So, what best documentary since Senna? yeah I guess it is I think you know I, I was thinking about other films that no. have been you
3: know Inside Job mm. Senna uh, Lucy Walker's making good documentaries there's a lot of good documentary makers out there at the moment I think Kevin McDonald is, is definitely is
2: up there yeah. and this, this is a, a film for which our own Lucy Quick is currently on a, an exciting trip I, was, I wasn't going to mention that because I'm harbouring deep rage <laughs> where's she gone Ellie? Barbados. oh you're just you're, you're destroying my jamaica Here, no I'll she volunteered gag I'll, I'll do it i'll do it no it's fine it was oh. a <laughs> joke joke has been at
3: six days old and <laughs> it's got visible mold on it it has back uh, in the fridge yeah okay um, so in summary yes go see go see it's terrific
0: yay yay for marley excellent next we've got uh, a slightly different film it's a film based on a best-selling book with a weird title it's salmon fishing in the yemen in which a fisheries expert played by ewan mcgregor is sent to well the yemen to help a sheikh realize his dream of introducing fly fishing to the region so you might say it's a fish out of water story right ali
1: yes you might (laughs) that was almost as good as the joke you were about to make (laughs) (laughs) I've been trying to describe it in The Office as a movie that you will want to take your parents to go and see. Too often you go and see movies in the cinema with your parents thinking, you know what, this is going to be fun. And then there's blood and things explode and things get awkward. But this one is incredibly pleasant, very sweet, very lovely, as you'd expect with a movie that stars Ewan McGregor and Emily Blunt and, and Fish, really. Uh, <laughs> the story is, if you want to call it a story, OK, it is a story, of a eccentric shake who has all the money that you could possibly dream of, and he decides that he wants to make his patch of Yemen uh, full of salmon, because he loves salmon fishing. He has a small estate up in Scotland. Don't we all? Don't we all. And he uh, decides to speak to the official people in London to get the fish Mm -hmm. and get somebody who knows about fish to come and make it happen. So he uses her secretary, isn't probably the right word, but her assistant, his assistant in London, who's played by Emily Blunt. She's got the fantastic name of Harriet Chetwode Talbot and she kind of encourages Hugh McGregor's character, who's a fishery fuddy-duddy in Fisheries HQ, to come and make it happen over in the Yemen. Now, of course, this isn't as easy as it sounds, and it doesn't sound that easy, especially when you've got the fact that British people don't want all their salmon to be taken away, the fact that it seems to be a total waste of money and time, but somehow... And the fact that Yemen's a desert. Yemen's a desert, and there's a civil war and a bunch of other...
0: Ooh, ouch.
1: Oh, anyway, so this all <laughs> happens. There's also, as you might expect, a love story between these two. Something which is kind of tainted by the fact that Hugh McGregor's character, who's meant to be a lot older in the original book, but is obviously Hugh McGregor's age in this one, is married. Who? yeah, to, he's who's married, and it's it's something the movie can't really kind of wriggle out. And of. she has a boyfriend. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. Emily Blunt's also got a boyfriend who also happens to be a soldier. Who's missing in action. Who's missing in action. It, 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 ethically, this is complicated, <laughs> to say the least. But somehow, it kind of, as you might guess, turns into something between these two. Um, and the fish do possibly make their way to Yemen. What happens after that is up to you watching the movie, but... As you might have guessed, it's quite silly at times, and it, it veers in tone erratically between lovely little love story and well, in the loop is one of its closer.
0: Mm, because you've got mm. Chris and Scott Thomas as a sort of political well, figure. See, right? this was
2: my thing when it when it starts out, it feels very Inucci. You get you get all the sort of uh, the sort of small the. the lunacy of government Mm. uh, and public relations and Chris and Scott Thomas who is by far and away the best thing in this film uh, is the Malcolm Tucker of this particular story and just has some of the best lines ever the problem is is that once you move out of his little fisheries corner of you know civil service uh, and get into the actual meat of the story it becomes this kind of slightly heavy handed vague sort of romantic drama that doesn't really know where it's going. A Quick question, yes or no? Is this if going to be a question like where you went to see it thinking it was a foreign language documentary about fish keeping in the Middle East and you were very disappointed? Yeah, I thought it was Azerbaijani, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> the book's are done in a... Is it epist, epistol What's the word?
0: Ep- epistolary.
2: That
1: way. Uh, that's the way that it's sort of framed, a bit like World War Z, but with less zombies and more, and that's, you know, <laughs> salmon. That's hinted at. There are a couple of nice moments where, you know, Kristen Scott, Kristen Scott Thomas's character instant messages the mm. Prime Minister. And then yeah, nice little mm. moments there. And
0: like, there's um, uh, Emily Blunt as well, yeah, typing emails. emails to people yeah. as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's fun, but you do feel at times whether you might have preferred this in the hands of somebody of Iannucci's stature, where yeah. you could really dig in and get all snarky. More and satirical, less salmony. Still, despite <laughs> all this, it is an enjoyable, pleasant film. And I know that's incredibly faint praise, but I mean it. It's it's fun as far as you could expect a movie about fishing yemen
0: fisheries <laughs> way to sell it wow that, I know. Still... What, what did we give it what was the we
1: verdict gave it three and i think three. i think yeah. that's that's fairly fair. understandable i, mean, it's, it's decent. I mm. think you'd be hard pressed um, unless you had you know specific issues with you know fly fishing to not enjoy it mm. yes this and was th- the incorrect lure for that type of river or something oh, lord
0: yes let's never go there yeah so uh so yes a, a decent film from lassa halstrom we should mention as the director as well obviously the guy behind you know similar kind of quirky literary adaptation cider house rules chocolate all the rest okay and finally uh we finally move on to lockout which is the sci-fi prison drama starring uh guy pierce uh as snow he's a crack kind of commando secret agent type who has to get into space infiltrate a high security space station prison and rescue the president's daughter, who's played by Maggie Grace from the demented inmates what could go wrong? James, tell us uh,
2: this is one of those films which is a bit heartbreaking, it's It's a film I so wanted to love because it felt like one of those 80s action kind of sci-fi films.
0: It feels Um, specifically like Escape from New York. Well, it's Escape from New
2: York, isn't it? Yeah. And also starring the professionally kidnapped Maggie Grace, which is always helpful. I mean, the problem was it it kind of felt like it was going to be Escape from New York sort of meet taken via 24 in space. And that's like the best pitch in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And what you end up with is kind of, escape from la meets like fortress via the final season of prison break you know it's, <laughs> it's it really just doesn't live up to to its potential on any level I mean it, it starts off with a load of stuff on earth featuring and I think it's fair to say some of the worst cGI we've seen all year, if not, yes. for the last ten. I mean, just dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. There
0: is that section really early on, yeah. and it's like not even a current video game. It's like a video game about seven or eight years yes, ago. Yes, it, it looks of appalling. Effects. It's better for the rest you know, of the film. Yeah, just once that, they that get into the space,
2: the, the, the effects are absolutely perfect. I just don't know what happened quite early on. But it's... The story's quite forgettable. I think the whole film gets by on the fact that Guy Pearce is humongously likeable. Mm. Uh, he's really funny. He's he's just lots of quips. lots of He's very, very sort of sardonic. Uh, and his sort of casual mistreatment of Maggie Grace when he gets hold of her is really funny as well. Um, if anything, they're not on screen together enough, I think is part of the problem. Yes, that I would agree with that. Him, him making fun of her is is inherently entertaining and, and it doesn't happen very much. You keep coming back to, to Joseph Gilgan, who plays the... Um, sort of Glaswegian psychopath uh, if people don't know who he is, he's the guy who wasn't as good as Robert Sheehan in Misfits, he replaced him in that <laughs> so yeah, no. wanted to love it, it I thought it would be uh, a four star, two star film, do you know what yeah. I mean, where absolutely love it, but it's a two star film in reality, it's a two star, two star film
1: ah, they're, uh, they're, they're some of the worst
2: Yeah. the only thing I will say is, I mean we do, do mention it, that it, it, he, he does have some great one liners, he has some good stuff which kind of harks back to the conversation we had last week mm-hmm. about great action one liners and neatly segues onto my new discovery. Uh-oh. Uh which is the Pocket Arnold app, uh which I now have on my phone, uh which does things like this.
1: Knock, knock. One of us is in deep trouble.
2: Of <laughs> phenomenal Arnold uh Arnold things in here. Give me your address there. Astonishing well, it doesn't have the best ones. Where's <laughs> get to the chopper? It doesn't have get to the chopper. Where's I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. It's just you know, they've missed an opportunity. And it has things like this. Howdy, stranger. That's not what I would call a classic Arnold line, but You like discipline. There you go, you get that instead.
0: Does it have uh who is your daddy and what does he do?
2: Yes, it does indeed have that.
0: Who is your daddy and what does he do?
1: Yeah, there we go. Alright,
0: that's something anyway. I'm a cop, you idiot.
1: <laughs> Astonishing! Literally, so, minutes of fun. Yeah, yeah.
0: So basically, we give this one two stars. So we don't think anyone's going to be making a uh, Guy Pearce uh, act. I, I, I should say that he's really good in it, isn't he? It's, he is. It's no, just, he's very good. The film doesn't quite give him enough to do. No,
2: I think that's it. And uh, you know, he was the best thing in it. And it's one of those films where it's a two-star film. It's not great, but I mean, you, if you went and see it, you did. You, I think you have a little bit of fun in the. he's yeah. you know. It's not a recommendation, but actually, if you're bored, you're wandering past the cinema, or you've got nothing to do, go and see it because he's really good
0: at it. I have to say, it, it, I, I was a bit more up on this than the rest of you, and I think if it was Friday night and you were a bit tired and you d- absolutely <laughs> didn't want to use your brain in any way. <laughs> I,
3: love the word, I love this sort of statue of limitations. <laughs> no. If you're in your house, you're on your sofa, you've been here? tied up, <laughs> <laughs> bound in you told you have to watch your a film or you die The screen is so
0: huge, you literally. Yeah. Yeah. Then. No, I don't mean it. I don't there's mean nothing it, else on.
2: I'm Maybe not, I'm not
0: belittling it with that faint
2: <laughs> but I would
0: say it's a it's a Friday night kind of a film where you just you're too exhausted to actually watch anything that requires any thoughts. Any of your films, Phil. Any of these Azerbaijani naturist documentaries. You know, those are not Friday night films because they just involve a <laughs> bit too much work. This one <clears> is a Friday night film for me. Right. Yeah. All right, and that is your lot for this week's Empire Podcast. Next week sees the release of Adorable Muppets documentary, Being Elmo. Indie King Whit Stillman's long-awaited return to filmmaking in Damsels in Distress, and some little film called Marvel's Avengers Assemble, uh, which, by the way, is amazing. So see you back here, same time, same place, this time next week. And hey, if you're pining for us in the meantime, you can head over to empireonline.com or pick up a copy of the magazine, which this month gives you all the gossip on Ridley Scott's Prometheus. So all that remains for me this week is to say goodbye to James. I'll be back. Goodbye to Ali.
1: I feel really small. I have no app of <laughs> no 80s action star. <laughs> anyway. Hair app. Goodbye.
0: And goodbye to Phil. Ciao.
1: Hasta la vista. Baby.
0: <laughs> and goodbye from me. Thank you all for listening.